Hello and welcome to We're Listening, the podcast all about Frasier. I'm Will. I'm Kay. And this week we are looking at Season 1, Episode 19, Give Him the Chair, in which Frasier rearranges his apartment furniture at the cost of Martin's beloved Barker Lounger. So Key, a couple of questions came up this week that I could have asked you. One of which, as as is the plot of the episode, would have been about a favourite item of furniture in a house. But I'm not going to ask you that. This episode opens with Frasier discussing a book that, quote, blew his mental socks off. And I want to ask you, what was the last book that you read that did the same? Oh, um... Probably going to get the cogs whirring here. You've read a lot of books in your time, so... I have. I also read a lot of rubbish books. So <laughs> no, do I. I mean, I'm not... I'm a, big... a rubbish book is still a book. I'm one of those people, I, I will... On a, if I've got a quiet weekend in, I might, like, Friday night, go on, like, the Amazon Kindle free books but <laughs> Find whatever's got the best review and just go from there. Wow, I've not actually um, looked at the free books before. I'm a big Kindle user, but, yeah, never... Did you tend to get... Good titles there, or are they kind of like the the bargain bin. You can get a lot of bad ones, um, yeah. but every so often you do find like a, a jewel. Like mm. I found a couple of series that I've really ended. I've gone and read the sequels for. I really like first one was good. free. Um, oh, okay, so you kind of got you hooked. Yeah, okay, that's good. In terms of, does it have to be? Can it be a fiction? But my anything, anything. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I pretty much read ninety nine percent fiction anyway, so my answer is going to be that. <laughs> okay. Um, two books that I'd say. One, um, mm. there is a series called The. Game is life. Oh, I'm not um, familiar with that. It's not. It's not me and me. It's not like the best written book you will ever read. Put it like okay. that. It's the first one was free. <laughs> okay. However, I just like the premise of it. I thought was amazing and I'll, I'll tell you what it is because you find out pretty early on in the book so mm-hmm. not spoiling anything basically they have a, an artificial reality they have a video game called earth yeah the idea is is that our entire lives uh, is actually just sort of an educational experience and up until like the age of 18 in in the real world that you like live nine or ten lives on earth mm-hmm. um and it's how like kids get experience and wisdom and all that sort of thing so our entire reality is just a simulation wow so that's called the game is life you say i think so yeah and, um, and when, when did that come out is that recent kind of 20th century or oh it's, yeah it's fairly recent yeah um, oh, okay i think probably about 10 i know there's been numerous sequels wow um, that, that that blew your mental socks off you would say just, i really liked the idea that it was everything's just a video game that i just thought it was really really fascinating yeah i've always kind of been um, drawn to like simulation stuff like the matrix kind of thing i think nah. that's always got a lot of yeah that's always interesting i, I find it really interesting well, as, a, as a book that they let you in on the secret from the start there's not a great big reveal at the end where you realize they're in a video game it, mm. you know from the start and it just it really draws you in and you, you mentioned there was another book potentially that you uh, had selected it just in terms of it's purely the weirdest thing I've ever read, and you will know the author. I don't think you'll recognise his name. Okay. But um, did you read Darren Shan when you were a kid? I absolutely loved Darren Shan. Okay, so Darren Shan now writes for adults under the name Darren Dash. Oh, okay. Oh, because I've seen um, him publish stuff under his like other name, like Darren O'Shaughnessy or something, like his, his Irish done, name. I think he did one or two under Darren O'Shaughnessy, mm. and now most of his books tend to be he, I think he does some kids books under the name Darren Shan still but most of his books now are under the name Darren Dash okay um, and they're all like they're really good they're weird they're all pretty weird um, but they are a really really good read I like you won't put it down halfway through put it like that they're a similar kind of vibe like dark fantasy stuff or is it kind of different genres or what's the vibe very dark <laughs> oh that's he, good that's fine with me I'm a big fan of dark <laughs> he, um, he did do one comedy called Midsummer's Bottom which mm. was really good it's basically about um, an amateur theater 
theatre group who do um, some Night Stream every year. Oh, that's and a it, nice follow-on from last week, actually. <laughs> yeah, and it turns out that the characters in Midsummer Night's Dream are all actually real. And as part of a deal they did with William Shakespeare, they have to watch every production of Midsummer Night's Dream every single time. Any time it's performed, they have to watch it. Oh, wow. I love that. This particular product group that do it every year, they hate so much that they try to get someone to break the group apart just so they don't have to watch them anymore. <laughs> that sounds um, really cool. That's a really cool premise. It's, and it's, it's a comedy as well, which is very different to what his other books are. Yeah, oh, um, yeah, I'll say. They're all pretty cheap, actually, on Kindle. All of his books are like two quid. I think he publishes them himself. But I'd say the weirdest book he's ever done is called An Other Place. An Other being two words. It's just, I, I really, I don't even know how to explain it. It's just, it's absolutely, I feel like it's psychedelic. It's absolutely crazy. Um, really? Basically, a guy's on a, a flight, mm. goes through some turbulence, and he sort of opens his eyes, and everyone else on the flight has turned to mannequins. Oh, man. And then he goes to this city, and it's it's really weird. And I mean, to put it into context, I was traveling from I was at university at the time, and Sham was at a different university. So I was traveling on a Friday night to go see her. And after traveling and reading this book on a train for like three hours, I got to her flat. I went, "I'm really sorry, but I've got like an hour left of this to read." So <laughs> wow, I'll speak, I'll speak to you in a bit. It had you um, that kind of you had your claws in you that much. Uh, it was because I just I didn't know where it was going at all. And even having having read it, I still don't know where. It <laughs> it was like I don't know if you'd reread it, but first time, it's really, really interesting. I'm going to have to check these out. Obviously, yeah, as you said, I read some Sham when I was a kid. Those are really good selections. The book I was going to pick, actually, you will you will really enjoy, um, though I don't think you'll have read it because it's like super, super unheard of. And I found it randomly on, I think on just a Twitter post, but it's called How Steeple Cinderby Wanderers Won the FA Cup. A British author called J.L. Carr, also not very famous. He's, he's kind of more famous for a different book. And and it's literally just about like 1920s this guy moves to this really idyllic English village and just becomes a part of their like local football team and he becomes the reporter for them and their like insanely unlikely story of deciding to enter the FA Cup and they just go on to beat Rangers and they and they win it and yeah this is when Rangers for some reason play I don't, I don't know when the division between Scottish and English happened but um, Rangers were playing in the FA Cup at this point and they beat Rangers and, and they play Villa at one point and they play Wolves and it's just like yeah it's full of like English charm and English kind of village charm but it's not like twee and sentimental uh, it's just really really moving and then by the end the book's only like 120 pages but by the end you've been on this journey of all these characters and you know you've kind of got to know the goalkeeper and his nicknames and stuff and then they all go and part their different ways and go back to their normal jobs and it's just really sad because they like leave this amazing time they had together behind and go back to the real world in quotes And um, but yeah you, you would really get a kick out of that I think no pun intended I'm, uh, I'm googling this I'm, I've gone on Amazon while you're talking. Honestly, I mean, if there it. was a better way for me to get the book to you, I would, I would, I would do that. So don't worry, I, I will get the book to you if you don't buy it now. At some point, it's, it's on Kindle, so I'll just download oh, it this sick. weekend. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, um, I mean, do you remember the big kick? Oh man, we used to <laughs> love those in school, man. They were so good. There was a few, wasn't there? there was like the big kick, maybe the like big the, game, one of the big match or something like match. that. Yeah, I love them because they captured like life in like a northern town, and it was. Uh, 
was like, yeah, running down the cobbled streets to training and stuff like that. All right, for listeners, when me and Will were in primary school, we basically um, at the start of every day we'd have about twenty minutes or so where we had to just sit and read. And for at least a solid two years, uh, me and Will read the same. I think there was all all three books in one big book. Yeah, like a compendium uh, type thing. Yeah, and me and Will just sat next to each other and read the same book over and over again. Oh, it was phenomenal. Okay. It was it's such good books. Um, a bit like Roy of the Rovers, if anyone's more familiar with that. I mean, they're, they're, those are ve- they're all very much British institutions, but uh, Roy of the Rovers may have had some kind of transatlantic uh, passage at some point. But yeah, any listeners who want to share anything they've been reading, um, me and Key, as we've established, both big readers, so we're always looking for book recommendations. So if anyone's been reading anything good, please let us know on Twitter and Reddit, etc. But on that note, Key, are you ready to tuck yourself in at a trivia corner this week? I am indeed, yeah. Excellent. Well, we've got a new challenger has entered the arena this week because we've got some trivia questions from a new Reddit user who goes by the name of Kalan Kalanijan. Kalinijan. I'm really bad with pronouncing his name, <laughs> so I'm just going to call him Cal. Okay, question one that Cal has established for you here. In the scene where Niles shares his gift for Maris with Daphne, he refers to Maris as the soul of generosity for donating what to the homeless shelter? Oh, she did she donate her old cocktail dress? <laughs> she did indeed, <laughs> which is just the most empty gesture you could possibly imagine. I no love the idea. I mean, unless you, if you repurpose them as a blanket or something, then maybe something's going to happen there. But other than that, I mean, it's just, it's it's scrap, isn't it? You can just picture like this big, like burly 40-year-old bloke who's walking <laughs> out in a cocktail dress. Honestly, absolutely dreadful. But, you know, maybe her heart was in the right place at the time. Okay, that's one out of three. Here's question two. While Martin is talking about his duct tape covered chair, he says he, quote, just needs somewhere comfortable to park his fanny. What is Fraser's response? Oh, doesn't he say um, about Florida? He does say what about Florida well played. You're on your A game here. You're on your oh. A game. Two out of three. Last question. Well, oh, this is a good question, actually. I really I really like this. While Martin is giving his impassioned speech about his chair, what year Olympics does he reference? Oh, okay. Now, I love this speech, and I will yeah. wax lyrical about this later. We have got um, much to say about this. I think it's the 1980 Olympics, and yes, specifically, the Miracle on Ice. Yeah, oh, nice. Yeah. Is that, when, am, I, am I right in thinking, is this before Wayne Gretzky's time, or...? or Things that my understanding, I don't know much about ice hockey. My understanding is in the 1980s, uh, American ice hockey, at the Olympics, they were still amateurs, whereas I think the Russians and all their big ice hockey stars and the Americans won. And, you know, obviously Cold War and everything. um, Oh, okay. It was huge in america that's my Man. understanding of it I, yeah that i i was not i i, I knew the kind of the, the whole cold war vibe but i didn't realize that was the context about the whole amateur versus professional bit of a rocky type thing rocky on ice almost uh, i'm just on gretzky's wikipedia page and i can't see when he i oh, know he's uh i can't believe i'm saying this and offending everyone but he's canadian he's not american so there you go oh well <laughs> but he played for the new york rangers he played for like los angeles kings blah blah so he played for a bunch of American teams, but his nationality is he's Canadian, so he did play in the NHL for 20 seasons. So I'm not I'm not misstepping that much. Um, but that was an excellent three out of three. Key. Shall we move over to our questions? Yes, indeed. Eh? You you want to take the lead? <laughs> okay. So knee play at the end of the episode. What is the name of the kid who threw up? Honestly, you're not going to believe this. I haven't even made a note of this, but I dawdled on it for a few minutes because I was going to ask you, and I'm I'm I know it's Bobby something. I feel like it might be Bobby McDuff. Yes, it's it Bobby, is Bobby McDuff. McDuff. Yeah. That just sounds like the most made-up name. He sounds like he should be kind of... 
he sounds like an Irish mobster, like he's I mean, hanging out with Al Capone. If he'd have been called Doctor Armstrong, I believe, <laughs> or, you know, or if he'd been called Doctor. Kennedy Burling. Kennedy <laughs> Burling. Oh, well, honestly, I'm going to ask you for Kennedy Burling's opinion on this episode later. So uh, enjoy. Looking forward to that. Okay, question okay. one of my selection. In the furniture shop, there is a sign for a percentage down payment you can make on any furniture you buy. What is the percentage figure? Oh, jeez. Um, a really tough question to come out the I blocks with today. I didn't even know there was a percentage. <laughs> I never noticed it before, um, actually. It's like hanging. It's actually quite big, hanging from like the gantry. <laughs> um, but yeah. I love this. It. Casual put down. I didn't notice. It's actually quite big. <laughs> <laughs> You're an idiot for not noticing it. <laughs> I am going to say 20%. 20% was that. The answer is 0%. 0%? I don't, yeah, I don't know what the vibe is, but I'm, I'm assuming it's like... I, it definitely said down on the side, but it, it might have meant something else. But I just think the idea is it was 0% interest on anything you buy. Oh, okay. On a pay monthly type thing. But yeah, so pretty pretty good little setup at that discount furniture shop, which I've also got some some comments on but yeah sorry to sorry to stick you with that question Kirk. i hate the place now I tell you. <laughs> okay uh so my second question hit me what does leo call daphne oh i believe he calls her fish and chips <laughs> call her fish and chips which is a wonderful nickname but just needs to be used more leo's got a bit of a funny accent actually like he obviously is american but he also sounds like i don't know possibly a british actor doing an american accent sometimes the way he's just fish and chips i don't know but uh, i haven't had fish and chips in a long time in this episode he kind of reminds me of do you ever see bill and ted oh man yeah he's got a big stoner vibe reminds me a bit of keanu reeves in the and ted massively so he's got a huge stoner vibe going on Especially the way he goes, oh, okay. Like, yeah. Oh, okay. It's very, okay. yeah. Like, in fact, I'm so, I'm, I'm going to have to bring this up now. Oh, okay was my selection for whose crane is it anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to change that later. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Question two of mine. How does Frasier describe the chair when he's describing it on air at KACL? Can you remember any kind of the adjectives Ooh, okay. he uses? He says, he says about the duct tape with bits of stuffing sticking through it. He does. He says it is. Um, I think. Does he say that it's it's um, green? And did he say sh- like mud striped, something like that? Very close. I'm going to give you the points. He says it's a runny split pea green, a mud brown striped recliner. So you were basically okay. there. Basically there. It's. I mean, it does sound disgusting when it's described on air. But I, I don't know if you've seen this before. But I th- I'm not sure if they gave them out. Who they gave them out to? But you can get these little miniature models of Martin's chair, and it says "Farewell, Fraser" embroidered on the back of them. And I have a feeling they were given to everyone who was involved with the show, and then they've been auctioned off over the years because some people on like Facebook and that have them as like collectors' items. They're the coolest thing. Um, I want one. Yeah, I so do yeah. I. I think they were maybe given out as like kind of writers' favors by NBC or something. But so cool, so cool. Anyway, okay, hit me with your question three. My third question what is the advert that Fraser cuts to at KACL. I think I remember this because it. I always often have wistful dreams whenever I wear a plaid shirt of becoming a lumberjack. And I believe it's Yukon Lumber. <laughs> it is Yukon Lumber, yeah. It is Yukon Lumber. Excellent. I've not been to the Yukon, obviously, but it always reminded me of, um, I don't know if you watched Yvonne of the Yukon. A I kid. just going to say that. No, I, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna... anyone in America knows of Yvonne the Yukon. 
Yukon, please, Ivana of the Yukon, please get in touch. It's about a weird little tiny French man who is preserved in ice and then wakes up in an Alaskan town. It's just a fantastic comedy. No, it's actually about all I've. All I really remember is him being like in his underwear quite a lot. Yeah, I think he was. I think he was in his underwear when he got frozen, and then um, when he is defrosted in the Alaskan town, he's for some reason never ever puts clothes on. So there you go. <laughs> um, is it my question now, mate? I think it is. Yeah, it is excellent. Okay, the final question I've got for trivia corner this week: the production of Ten Little Indians is originally by which writer and what is it more commonly known as now because it was changed to a slightly more politically correct name and yeah, a I, far better name actually I think I know this and okay I think it's Agatha Christie it is indeed great is it author. now um, and then there was none yes and then there were none. Great, great book. In fact, my, my mom, who doesn't read at all, and, re- and whenever she does, doesn't read fiction, wanted a book for the lockdown. And I was like, you know what? You quite like murder mysteries. Why don't you give this a try? And she like read it in like a day. Absolutely loved it. And it, it's one of my faves. It's a really good book. But yeah, I mean, do you know the whole backstory behind the title of that book? Am I right in thinking Ten Little Indians was not the original title? You are very, very right. It was originally right it was Ten Little worse. N-Words. As um, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, extremely offensive. And then changed to Ten little indians which to be honest isn't much better and i'm not sure if the indians it refers to from the nursery rhyme whether it's a native american thing or whether it's like an indian colonial thing probably british empire indian reference um, but then, of course, they changed it to, and then there were none, which is of also a line from the nursery rhyme. But it's just a much, much better title anyway. It's just way more creepy and stuff. But um, that was actually a very successful trivia corner this week. I think we both kind did we both get everyone right, bar um, the furniture shop sign, which was extremely unfair. Sign that was um, extremely unfair. Uh, yeah, I think other than that one, um, I think you win this one, Will. Well done. Wow, that is a turn up for the books. God, that is not a sentence you say much on this show at all. So yeah, I'll take that. It's boiling hot where we are. I'm sweating my cobs off but you know what i'm going to put it down to mental agility from uh from besting you but thank you very much key because i can guarantee after this episode goes live you have a lot of americans calling in saying sweating your cobs off yeah so- what does sweating your cobs off mate <laughs> try to keep the british uh idioms to a minimum <laughs> but sometimes they, they slip through the net uh, and thank you thank you very much to callan callanajan uh that's what i'm gonna go with um for those <laughs> excellent questions uh, he's got a little little bit underneath that which i'll read out later for listener mail but uh let's hop into the review this week so we're looking at give him the chair obviously we're opening kacl more familiar this time we're in the booth as usual looking at the kind of control panels we talked about the openings difference last week and fraser talking about his book by helmut brueger which i think is called the mate the menopausal male which he's obviously singing the praises of and then helmut brueger phones in and is basically just extremely horny for ross <laughs> <laughs> i mean what are you what are your opinions on brueger here Kay? i really like brueger uh, <laughs> I'd love, I tell you what, now, you listen to people on the radio and they can have a very attractive voice. I'm telling they you. Can, I, and Roz definitely does. I've said this before uh, on the podcast, but if I was in Seattle listening to her every day, I would be slightly infatuated, I think. Uh, I mean, I always remember, and I think it's from the episode, is it the focus group where someone tells her she has a nice throaty laugh? Yeah, oh, <laughs> and then she does. It like, really hams it up. <laughs> Interesting you've mentioned that episode, actually, because that episode comes up a lot on like most dislike Frasier episodes and I always struggled with it so it'll be good when we get to that one because it's probably one of the few episodes I've not seen like a million times but yeah Helmut Brueger a great zinger to Frasier it could it could well be my pick for and you just got burned when he says I do not agree in most cases with your analysis and then Frasier's another, like back to your book <laughs> another person who doesn't agree with I mean we had Lilith a few weeks ago 
Yes. Agreeing with Fraser. Now, uh, Tabruga doesn't agree either. I mean, and Niles generally doesn't either. He does tend to butt heads with the other medical professionals in his life. And I think that's, I, maybe that is that because of the format of his, you know, his, his kind of, he's sold out a bit. He's kind of the, the populist's answer to psychiatry. But then, of course, Bruger saying, You have a very sensuous voice. Just the whole asking her out live on air. It's just brilliantly choreographed with the fact that unknown to Bruger, Frazier is holding up his his kind of the sleeve of his book, and Ross is just like, oh god, no! He looks like he's about eighty something. Just yeah, absolutely love it. And um, I think one of the my contender possibly for the zinger is Frazier's come back off. I think Ross has your number. Yes, that's. I was. I want to kind of dwell on this actually because when he says thank you for so vividly proving your point, does that mean that Bruger's findings about the quote menopausal male is essentially just it's characterised by a really increased sex drive? Because I, I mean. Frazier loves this book, but if, if he's only been on the air for 20 seconds, he's super horny and he's proved his point. I think that must be what his finding is about the menopausal male. I think it must be. I always, it's weird because I always think when Frazier says that, I would think more like a midlife crisis than a you know a menopausal male. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I think would be more common. Maybe this is like one characteristic of it or something. But no, I, I completely agree. I mean, I think that line to make sense, the only thing is that when you when men are menopausal, they are uh, incredibly horny. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> how Bruger, we can add to our list of people who really want it on this show, which is <laughs> list that gets bigger by the week. Then after the KSCL scene, we're back in Fraser's apartment. Niall's very kind of coyly timing his his visit so that he gets Daphne alone. Some excellent physical stuff here with David Hyde Pierce. The way he clicks open the clasp on the necklace case, then flings it at Daphne so kind of nonchalantly. Always gets a laugh from me. Just yeah, his his kind of general the whole thing with them here. He's he's getting it to try it on. It's a, like an emerald necklace for Marius. It falls down a blouse. Just yeah, a really wonderful scene. I think. And I just, I really love just the whole little, the chemistry between them of this and the fact that they're finally alone together in the apartment. We don't, I mean, obviously a, f- a few weeks ago we had um, a Midwinter's, uh, yeah, that one. Um, yeah, Midwinter Night's Dream. We don't, we generally speaking, when they're at the apartment, Asia's there, Martin's there. We don't, I don't think, get that much time, just the two of them. And really, really like the back. As you said, the physical comedy is great. I also love the way, I love the line when, when Daphne says, oh my, can you see them? And not, <laughs> oh yes, Thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you. He's so polite in his perversion. Um, yeah, I, I noticed like a big recurring gag in particularly like the early, early, early seasons is Frasier walking in on them, compromising some kind of like slightly suggestive like tableau where he's looking down her shirt or he gets his tie caught in the back of a dress zip in another episode. Just yeah, constantly Frasier's coming in and catching like their children almost. It's quite a quite an interesting dynamic there. This is obviously where we learn Maris donated her cocktail dresses to a homeless shelter, which is just a great throwaway line. And then when Frasier obviously kind of diffuses the tension here and you know Niles is like, oh you know, silly me or whatever. But just call me Butterfingers, I think he says. He says join a health club, Niles. Is this a another reference to pent-up horniness, as in, like, Niles find an outlet for your sexual frustrations. Or is there another meaning here? I wasn't quite sure what is meant by join a health club and if you had any vibes. I, I thought it was something like, you know, go on a treadmill and run it off sort of thing. Um, yeah, that's a good idea. Just uh, just find an outlet for kind of how how hard up he is. But it is a bit of a strange line. I don't know if I'm missing... I feel like I'm kind of missing a joke here. But, um, 
maybe maybe we're just very naive and, and there is a joke there that we're not getting maybe or maybe it is quite it's just very nakedly a joke about how horny Nas is who knows possibly um, something interesting here is when obviously this is where the central plot point starts to kind of unfold where Frazier's really unhappy with the chair and he wants Martin to, to kind of get a new chair in into the apartment. He says, or oh, we can bring the Eames down here. And Martin's like, oh yeah, you know, let's do that. No, no, he says no. He says, um, he says the opposite of that. He's like, oh It's a yeah. very, very different episode. It's <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> oh yeah. My head was somewhere else looking at my notes then. Uh, Martin's like, oh yeah, the chair's not my, you know, not for me. It's too fancy, blah, blah, blah. The Eames would would admittedly look really good there. But in episodes where Frazier moves the chair, uh, I, I can't think of it's for a cocktail party or when it's when Martin briefly moves out. I think it might be the one where he moves in with Nars for a little bit. He puts the Wasili chair there. So in this episode, he's saying, oh, you know, the, the ideal replacement here is the Eames, which I agree with. But then in other episodes, he's bringing the Wasili down, which I just don't like. I think the Eames is a cracking chair. And I don't understand why he why it gets relegated later in episodes. I don't know. Oh, hear me out here, Will. Okay, the Eames is a cracking chair. Don't get me wrong. Oh, I'm scared about we, what you're going to say here. I just like don't, don't think it goes where that armchair is. I don't think it fits. A rug where a rug doesn't belong. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, a chair don't... where a chair doesn't belong. Yeah, the I'm... first half the room that is like quite a warm space yeah. and after that it's more of a more of a professional space or it's like it's a bit like the class divide in a room like <laughs> i know what you mean i know what you mean because I, the chair he ends up buying looks like an eames but without the character like it's like you know a big stocky leather recliner but it doesn't have the kind of you know the the, the playfulness of the of the playful insouciance of, a, of an early <laughs> le corbusier um, i was so, gonna yeah. ask you that actually. i thought it was <laughs> too hard a question yeah. I love no, I love that line. I actually wish you had asked me that because it's one I kind of look out for every time we come to this episode. But yeah, so obviously Martins doesn't want to get rid of the chair. This is when we have a great interaction between Fraser and Niles where the fact they're both psychiatrists lets us have this scene we would never otherwise have where they, they have an impromptu session and Fraser's lying with his sherry on the sofa and Nars is kind of perched and he has this whole kind of Freudian shtick about how the chair was bridging. It's probably not Freudian, it's actually quite accurate, but the, the, the chair was a bridge for Martin between his old place and, and living with Fraser, and now it's time to get rid of it. But it just, it, I just don't see how either of them could possibly think that this was like, this was anything other than self, a self-serving act they don't. They don't want to think. Oh, we can. We can finally have Dad like feel like he's part of the home now. They're just thinking, let's get this damn chair out of here. And obviously, that's when tragedy strikes. But yeah, I just, I just like the dynamic between the two of them, the way they're kind of sitting and stuff. It's just really nice. And I, I particularly love Niles' little bit here, where he's going, "Be they a teddy bear? Be they <laughs> stop be saying they. be they." <laughs> <laughs> it's so. I mean, they could quite easily have written Niles to you know be more eloquent and use different phrases things like that but it, just, it works so well that he calls you out on it and yeah, anyone who's had to like, write a really long essay or something like that <laughs> you end up just going to the same five phrases again and again, and again. <laughs> be um, that is just such a guy i mean I, I i feel like i use things like that in in writing i still do now it's like that slightly archaic sound to things where it's like it's you know it, it, it's just kind of putting a little bit of a spin on it to make it sound more erudite and it's just like yeah eventually you just sound like niles repeat to get after it, you know, one after the other. After their kind of impromptu therapy session in the apartment, we have the scene in the furniture shop, which is probably in my top 10, top 20 moments of season one. I just love the fact that the the, the shop set is really interesting anyway, to have to see them two 
in a place like that selling discount furniture where we have a chair that looks like it's been upholstered from golf pants <laughs> i actually think that chair weirdly is fashionable now compared to then like that's the kind of chair you'd seen like a you know some trendy hipsters kind of camden town apartment i think but yeah i mean why is the the chair salesman so rude in this shop he, he seems so uninterested in selling chairs which is his one job i just don't understand why he's got so much anger here it's strange as well when you when they come in you would think in that kind of a business here comes like two suckers i can in know, suits yeah i can sell them everything here yeah um, they probably he see just, the armani and think you know ka-ching yeah he just does not care at all he does not want to be there does he he clearly um, doesn't work on commission because if he if he did he's shooting himself and you know his his family's food and stuff in the foot by like not chasing the as you quite rightly say you know these two suckers that you absolutely i mean we have the great line with what they're looking for we're looking for something with the presence of a mise van der Rohe and the playful insouciance of an early le corbusier <laughs> i have actually on my desk in front of me a book on le corbusier uh he's a great great architect slash designer and he's like he was an American but he always comes up with like Frank Lloyd Wright who was an American architect who I love and a little bit of side completely unrelated side note here there's a great Simon and Garfunkel song about Frank Lloyd Wright that I recommend everyone go and check out Are you a fan Simon and Garfunkel okay? yeah, I can I can listen to him in the background I wouldn't say I'm on. huge like number one fan <laughs> that would have been um, good if they had that song playing during this scene that would have been the ultimate kind of meta layering of all the little uh, little references to architects and designers here um, but yeah the, the chair they settle on is the ridiculous leather recliner that vibrates what are your thoughts about this chair because personally fraser's buying this chair for him he thinks it's for martin but it's not it's for him why would he go to a discount furniture shop to get it because he has a replica coco chanel you know sofa he doesn't make any sense to me that he would go here i i think it's really strange because as you've you pointed out Earls is talking Frazier into buying it for himself. I mean, they they can layer it as a pretense of, of doing it for Martin. We both know they know it's <laughs> for him. He doesn't want that chair there for sure. It, it, it seems strange that he's going to the effort of buying a new chair basically for himself. You're getting one that he won't like. Yeah, uh, like I, he says, you know, all oh, this wouldn't look absolutely hideous in my apartment. But I'm going to be honest. I think it looks awful. Like I, it's like just giant kind of blocky leather. It's got no kind of shape or contour to it or whatever and then to think like having that plugged in with that massive cable trailing across your living room floor just so you can have a shiatsu massage or you know martin's reaction to this later that's disgusting is something we'll get to but yeah just that never quite kind of sits well with me and also fraser's joke here where he's like oh a lazy boy or lazy man or whatever the guy calls it you know what do they call the other model the hopeless slack ass and like niles absolutely dies laughing at this and then Frasier laughs like on a second win. I don't think the joke is as funny as either of them think it is. <laughs> I don't it's, know. Not, it's really not. It's not. Just maybe it's meant to be that you're you're laughing at them. Um, maybe how out of touch they are and how like condescending they're being. It's just it's it is is not as funny as they think it is. Like one thing that is funny is we have a great line from Niles where he says, "I'll just rent it an apartment and visit it on the side," <laughs> which I think is incredible. Such a good writing. Just and I love the way that kind of mirrors his and Daphne's reactions to the chair because when Daphne responds to it later she responds almost identically to Niles and then says oh we can always put it in my room which I actually want to talk about the way she says that because 
like her accent is insane at that point. But yeah, I'm only just noticing it now. But yeah, I think there's a really nice kind of symmetry between how Niles reacts to the chair and how Daphne does and how they both make a similar kind of line about it. So I think that's quite I, interesting. I would say like in terms of like sitcom tropes, I think that getting a vibrating chair is a joke that a lot of sitcoms at some stage an episode about. You reckon? Um, I think it, it comes up quite a bit, but I think that Asia in this episode does it very, very well. I think he does it better than most. Yeah, they kind of get they get their few gags in, but they don't dwell on it because obviously the point is, you know, there is a it's the point is the chair, you know, the Martin's chair. So they don't kind of, you know, ham it up too much. There was a great article in, I don't know if it was the Atlantic or the New York Times a couple of years ago, but it was a um it was basically saying that Martin's chair was the real star of Frasier and it was like using his chair as like a symbol of all the heart the show had. And really, yeah, really good read. Any any kind of reading on Frasier more generally is great. But yeah, that, I mean that this this chair, as we've said earlier, you know, they gave it out as a model as, as kind of rising favors it is in many ways symbolic of the show which is why it's great to have an episode about it and we have another episode about it like in season nine or whatever blazy boy i can't remember what season that is nine ten or eleven so it's always you know it's always there and whenever there's a chair there that needs to be moved there is a building lackey in steps leo an incredible cameo here who has possibly the most perfect hair from anyone who ever has appeared in a fraser episode i love on the script he's just described as a surfer type dude <laughs> surfer type dude I, honestly I can't stop thinking about Bill and Ted now you've mentioned that he's got such massive stoner vibes the way he said oh okay I could have closed my eyes and I, I would have been hearing <laughs> oh okay Johnny Reeves in, in Bill and Ted just telling telling Frasier to be excellent before he leaves yeah. just no fish and chips is great Frasier's okay I've got my zinger I've got my what's this what's this segment called again you, you just, just got burned you just got burned where he says I'm sure Beavis is starting to wonder where you are <laughs> just the way he's bumbling yeah. around I, i've never watched beavis and butthead it's huge in america i think or at least was at one point and i know there's there's fraser and chandler and joey and friends watching at some point it's part of an episode that they're in but yeah I've, I've never watched it but i still find the gag hilarious because you just know beavis and butthead are like absolute bottom of the barrel morons i mean i do they still play it in america i always think of it being like late 80s and 90s show yeah it was kind of like big when south park was like like big you know kind of too hot for tv kind of thing I, I feel like yeah maybe i don't know what the era was actually you could be you could well be right with the 80s i always thought it was 90s for some reason assuming um, it's probably 90s because of shows you know frazier yeah the fact it's being referenced like yeah, yeah. in frazier in friends what do you think of the line in this bit where he says about um where is the faucet and she goes oh in the I, kitchen I, I was just about to say this are you with me in that it's not a stupid question i don't think it's a stupid question at all like, it's perfectly no. valid as he says uh, yeah you've got bathrooms don't you i'm so with leo here like the way daphne says that to me so condescendingly i was like what you mean you've probably got in that house you've got fraser fraser has a bathroom i think martin has a bathroom there's the the powder Rachel, room. Daphne have a yeah. Suit. Daphne's got one, and the kitchen. There's about seven or eight taps in this bloody apartment. They've got, so they've got the one right by the door as well, haven't they? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, the powder room. So I'm 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 well with Leo here. He's, he's quite meant to be stupid in the scene, but yeah. I think Daphne's a bit str- like the way she goes. Oh, in the kitchen, it is very condescending. It doesn't feel very Daphne. No, it like, does. And the fact she calls him dear when they're probably like uh, uh, because two years between them, they're really you know age wise, they're they're so similar here so just doesn't quite scan with me the uh the kind of condescendingness here but obviously we have now the chair gets plugged in daphne has her moment with it it's about as explicit i think as as frasier gets uh when she's kind of enjoying the chair but 
Martin, obviously completely opposite to that. That's disgusting. It's just I'm I'm so with mine here. I think fabric furniture over leather any any day of the week here. Um, oh, definitely. Do definitely. you agree with me? Because everything I... he says, like so you can't sit in them in shorts, the back sticks when it's hot. I just think, yeah, like it. We, obviously, it's boiling now as we sit here recording this. I wouldn't. I would if I was in a leather chair right now. I'd be like wringing wet. <laughs> I'm I'm sat on a leather sofa right now. Oh, mate! Describe I, I, what you're feeling. It's not nice. I'm trying not to <laughs> put it nice. I would not have gotten this sofa. Like I only have this sofa because even with the flat, the flat is was furnished when I rented it. Yeah. Um, I am not a fan at all. It's well, you know, you, know, you get you get in a free leather sofa. I'm with you. You know, you don't you don't snub that. You're not going to sit on pallets on the floor. However. <laughs> You know what? Yeah, fabric in this kind of weather, much cooler. The kind of Coco Chanel thing he's got going on. I, you know, you, that's something you want to be lying on on a hot summer's day. What, what I do love about seeing the is that, as you said, you see the, all four of them have you see, I think their personality really come out in the way mm. they react to the show. Niles sits in it, he's like, he, he, he's like, oh, oh my, wow, you know, I want to rent it in apartments and visit on the side. <laughs> um, Fraser says, oh, mommy, it is his <laughs> deep drool that, that only Kelsey does. <laughs> Daphne is explicit and yeah she's um, like basically halfway there (laughs) she's you know no one else has any thought for where she is you have your fun you're done (laughs) you're a little frustrated um and then martin like quite gruff old fashions that's sick um (laughs) i agree i'm with martin that when you're all sharing the chair yeah it's like it is disgusting actually the idea of them all you wouldn't want to sit in that chair after daphne's been in it and vice versa like Daphne wouldn't want to sit after Martin's been in it. Just this whole shiatsu thing going on. But yeah, you're so right. It's great that it kind of be- brings out all of their kind of little little personalities and characteristics here because we never really ever see anyone other than Martin sit in in the you know the proper Barker lounge. So it's kind of nice for once to to have that little furniture item kind of rotated amongst the cast. Um, I mean. Leo's still in the apartment at this point and he's getting a berating from Frasier and from Martin because he didn't put it in storage. He left it out by the by the bins. I love this line, oh man, not another day like last Tuesday. <laughs> Definitely a saying we need to bring back when something's not going our way, I think. Just I could you even want to hazard a guess here what happened last Tuesday to Leo? I feel he lost a lot more than a chair. I, I feel he <laughs> lost someone was moving into an apartment. Leo yeah. lost everything. <laughs> he lost everything. He misplaced the key or he locked them out or something like that. It could have happened. They they but... showed up in their living room and everything was gone. <laughs> and Leo's just gone, oh no. <laughs> but you know what? He, he takes a lot of pride in his work, as he says to Frazier before smacking into an item of furniture. But yeah, I'm very surprised we never see Leo again. I think he's got like enough about him that he could he could have a couple of 30 second cameos when things are being moved around because they go into the storage room a few times to get like Christmas boxes out and stuff like that. And, you know, if he's the building lackey. There's a lot of stuff around the apartment that usually needs fixing, you know, like plumbing or whatever, or, you know, what what have you. So I think there definitely was the mileage there to maybe to kind of have him around a little bit more. I know we say this about every cameo character, but he really could have had like 20 seconds and it would have been like, oh, yeah, that's fine. That's enough. That's a laugh. This is his last episode. I mean, is this the own, did we, have we seen him before now? I feel this we must is... see. I definitely feel we see him more than. I feel like this is the only, this is the only time we've seen him. Um, I feel like we've not seen him before. 
I could sure. be completely wrong. Sure, I've seen him somewhere. Maybe yeah, I, I, I honestly think this is the only time he's around. I, I, I'm struggling to think. I don't think he was in like the first or second episode when they're moving stuff into the apartment. Don't think he comes back later. I think we'd have remembered that insane set of hair <laughs> gracing the apartment again. Um, but we'll have to keep our eyes out for Leo. Credit um, to him then. That's he's made a real impact on me. He has, you know, episode, the I whole fish he... and chips line gets brought out all the time on fan on Fraser fan club and stuff and it is like a really funny line and you know that's that's it he's got like five lines in the whole show nails it fair play he to does, he does nail it um, we got at this point I wanted to talk when Daphne says we could put it in my room I hate the way she says this because it's like a caricature of herself almost like the way she says it we could put it in my room it's like she's hamming up her accent which is already very dubious but like even more I feel like she's trying to for sort of a I feel like she's trying to put on a bit of a good girl innocent vibe sort of thing I think so yeah it doesn't come off for me I think it just comes off a bit weird after what we'd seen just in the chair <laughs> and then the way she condescends to Leo and stuff it's just a bit like yeah I'm just not quite not quite on the same page as the writers at this point I don't think I'm getting a bit of like whiplash in this scene just uh, <laughs> sides of her personality she's a bit all over the place <laughs> then obviously we have the amazing monologue from uh from Martin at this point, which is kind of iconic, I think, in the, in the show more widely. But the whole, you know, I want the chair when I when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon. That genuinely pretty choked up listening to this this time around when he's talking about you know Hester kind of waking him up after he's fallen asleep in front of the TV and kissing him and taking him off to bed and stuff and just that that whole monologue. I mean, you you probably got loads of thoughts, but just yeah, really really sad. I think and great acting from John Mahoney, like as always. My opinion. I said this in the first episode. I think we, mm. a good a good sitcom makes you laugh. Great sitcom isn't afraid to make you cry as well. Yeah, I completely agree. I can agree. guarantee I've at least ended up listening to this speech from John Mahoney. Yeah. It is- phenomenally acted like everything just the way you can hear his breath and the way it sort of catches in his throat as he speaks and and just the build-up you know the nostalgia of you know he starts with you know an iconic event from when he was younger with neil armstrong 1969 he goes on to the 80s and then it comes up to relationship with his his kids because he talks about having a grandson and of course obviously the relationship with hester and and particularly the way he finishes it with you know and, and sometimes I fall asleep in the chair and I think she's going to be there to wake me up. And it, that, it's such a beautiful moment. And this, in terms of like beautiful moments in sitcom, any sitcom ever, beautiful moments, not necessarily laugh out loud funny, but just really beautiful, heartwarming, emotional is up there with any of them ever completely agree i think it's absolutely wonderful and i just think that kind of the last bit about hester and stuff i mean there's some great episodes anyway about hester and his relationship with her and and kind of what that means for fraser and Niles. but just yeah as you say the fact you can kind of hear his voice catching a little bit and i just yeah i just love the fact that they've taken this horrible chair that's kind of been the butter jokes for like 18 19 episodes and then bam now suddenly that chair is so symbolic and it's kind of everything that the show stands for it's kind of heart and it's it's grounded and just yeah a really really phenomenal monologue i mean john mahoney has a few of these as the kind of the run of the show goes on just yeah really 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 wonderful artin and the chair symbolize each other in the show just both have sort of this tough rough exterior you know a lot of a lot of jokes about the two of them early on and things like that and just i mean even the way martin when he's first asked oh no i I just want to keep it mother he doesn't really try and explain it straight away and then underneath seeing the nostalgia you can you know and very much i think in a lot of ways it's very much like an old man thing to do that you know they hold on to things for sentiment but don't necessarily want to admit it yeah and it's just i just i love this this scene this this 
monologue this scene is one of my favorite in fraser full stop i just absolutely love this monologue it's so it's phenomenal it is it is it's just if you were going to show someone like i think uh, if you have three scenes from the show from the whole series to show people to kind of show them what fraser is about i think the kind of five minutes leading up to and and kind of concerning this scene would be one of my picks because it's showing one of the best actors on the show doing his doing his you know his thing kind of in full flow just exactly what you said that a great sitcom you know isn't afraid to make you cry and I mean, oh, this says more about me than about the show, but I mean, there aren't many Frasier moments that make me like emotional. I love the show and I've seen it a million times, but you know, I, I've only ever cried at like three or four films and they're bizarre films as well. Like Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. I cried about seven times at the end of that. But yeah, like for, I don't do that much with Frasier, but this scene, this time around watching it, you know, making notes for this week, it really hit me. I was like, man, this is like just phenomenal writing. And it's just now that we don't have John Mahoney anymore, it just takes on so much more significance, I think. Um, um, for me, I've seen this scene countless times. Yeah, I still get goosebumps every time he gets into that speech. Yeah, I, it's the, I think it's his voice. He's the way he's tone changes you know that he's being serious and you know that there's not going to be a joke from Fraser or Niles or someone you know in response everything about the fact that his tone changes at that point you're like suddenly you know this is serious now the writers are there's something's going to be said um, I love yeah. so often. So often we hear a great speech and we I mean, me and you have complimented this in last few in episodes before we love the fact that a show can go from being serious and then there can be a, a comedic moment straight after which cuts through it. Yeah. This works so well that you just get the serious and there's nothing yeah, else. Yeah, they don't undercut it, do they? They just leave it and it's just, it, it works brilliantly. Um, I mean, kind of on that note, the next scene is we move to KACL. So it's, I, I like the fact that they leave the apartment, they leave that segment of the episode just with that kind of resounding note of sadness, really, of John Mahoney, kind of, of what he has, of what he said. But then we were back in KACL and a great line from Frasier to Ross when she's talking about the hot date she had, which is usually what Ross is talking about whenever we cut to her now. When he says, you know, Roz, maybe you should take a sick day and call into the show yourself sometime. It's just a phenomenal line. Another great pick for Zinger as well, actually. It's just There's a few kind of montage moments during this scene, and we see Fraser giving some advice out to some of the callers. And at one point, he's talking about the oaks and the mighty oak and the weeping willows bend in the wind. Whatever he's saying sounds so trite and cliche. And it's, it sounds terrible. And like when we get like that kid who phones up and is like, you know, I, I find your advice extremely shallow and whatever. I just, they've got a point because it doesn't sound like he's saying anything of substance here. I don't know what you thought. It's absolute nonsense, isn't it? That's it is. The it's oak, absolute. like in that in that comparison, the oak is like the bad thing because the weeping willow bends with the wind, it adapts. But an oak is like one of the strongest, biggest, oldest trees in the world. So I'm just like, I just don't understand what whatever the advice he was giving, um, that person needs to seek elsewhere opinions yeah. from medical need to call that dr bruger don't they <laughs> they do need to call dr bruger because he might be super horny but he'll tell you what you need to know because <laughs> um, what do you think of the dialogue between fraser and ros in this? me just i don't know something felt a little bit off with it and i can't quite put my finger on it about the bit when she's talking about the date or they're in the church and i don't know what it is just yeah i, I think it's maybe know. like 
Frazier's on his high horse again about the whole like Ross's lifestyle, I think. And I, I don't know, we're still not quite at a point of where there's acceptance of what Ross is like. It's like more like, oh, let's poke fun at her. But I like the fact that she she's oblivious to that. Like she doesn't care that Frazier's like looks down on her kind of freewheeling lifestyle. Um I mean I just I feel like we've seen the like the back and forth done better previously. No, I, I agree with you actually. I just think yeah, some of the lines about like, yeah, the minister and you know, they're not celibate, are they? And and then you know, when when Ross like mentions how they came out of church from a show and then he has to correct her and say it's mass, like that is something Ross would know. Like so they're just trying to make her look dumb here for some reason. Um slightly kind of funny. Yeah. I'm I'm with you, I think. I think as well, Frasier's lines don't give Ros much to work with. I mean, if you look at the lines he says, right, all right, Dervis. You know, there's not, there's, I, I, yeah, there's, there's, there's not, not much to bounce there off for of. Yeah. Kind of, yeah, no, completely. And normally they're kind of repartees, so built on like, kind of, yeah, him him kind of having a long zinger and then and then Roz usually kind of outwits him in some way. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm completely with you. I hadn't thought about it too much, but it's, an, it's a weird case, yeah, I see. It's interesting, but it's all mainly in a kind of aperitif leading to the, the finale of this episode, which is Frasier going to an Amdram performance of Ten Little Indians and then they went on. Just so much going on in this scene that is brilliant. And I think a whole episode with him involved with some kind of Amdram performance like this could have been phenomenal. Um, obviously, Ham Radio is kind of like that, but I mean with this kind of cast. The actor playing Mrs. Warren is incredible. Like some Love of the that. lines she has. One more thing goes wrong, I'm going to have to take my own life. <laughs> The delivery of that line is unreal. I love the way her voice, com- when she's speaking to the kids, and then her voice with Frasier, and just <laughs> between the two. Yeah. Because hey, I absolutely love when when Frasier makes his quite heartfelt speech about uh, Martin and all that. And I just love the pause of, this is exactly the example <laughs> of hand-up acting. I don't want to see from any of you. I, I love that. Like she's gesturing as well. She's not like pointing wildly. I love the fact that the irony of when she says her name is spelled wrong on the programme, considering when they first introduced her, I heard about four different pronunciations of her name. It sounded like someone called her Mrs. Warner. Then it sounded like someone called her Warren. Then it sounded like someone called her Horner. And then finally, Frasier says Warren. I was like, okay, they was, they, the Warren was just them saying Warren really fast and low. And yeah, I mean, I would be peed off if I did an Amdrab performance and I got my name wrong in the program. But that's how, how these things go. But generally, she's a great character and you know, she's not around for long. But like Leo in this episode, she kind of makes a really significant impression um but i mean did you ever ever have to do a play similar to ten little indians when you were out on the footlights so to speak I did not no i'd really have liked to have done something like this actually mm. i think you uh, make a good dr armstrong i see fraser with a little fake mustache and i see you right. you could i think you could handle it well i kind of now want to go like find an amdram group of, loads of like 13 year olds and me tower above them with a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> just gonna um, give a really hammy monologue that's <laughs> it fraser actually remembered his lines from however many years ago credit so credit. impressive there's no way any fly i've ever done i would remember the lines now no i just I, the whole concept of acting in general like theater acting the well any kind of acting but theater acting in particular the, the memorization of lines it terrifies me even thinking about having to do that so the fact that you have done that it's just yeah you must have a phenomenal memory from like having it trained over the the years that you were acting i think yeah i mean i think for me actually it's really helped and i mean i always tell 
tell people if your kids want to do acting when they're young, it's great for like their education going forward, just because I think it helps my memory come on massively. I think it's only got benefits, you know, socially as well as kind of mentally, I think. And, and you know, your confidence, public speaking, all that, you know. Yeah, so any, true. Anyone, anyone out there listening has kids. I mean, I'm John Group. And yeah. Throw in an who I can safely say, I mean, I'm much better now, but I used to be terrified of public speaking, and I still get really nervous doing it now. But it's a more, it's an internalized nerves, whereas outwardly I might be shaking a tiny bit or whatever. But I I can get through the performance, and I can I can read my conference paper, whatever I'm doing, and you know it's generally fine. Um, but like you know maybe I'd have benefited from doing a bit of Equus when I was uh, oh, I was a teenager, but who knows? My Don't my last. Guys. Mate, it's scarred. <laughs> My last bullet point for this episode is literally just about her face when she rips the duct tape off. She's like, Oh, it's a shame if something were to happen to this chair. <laughs> she rips the kind of big piece of duct tape. Yeah. I just think she is phenomenal. I have so much sympathy with her all the way through the scene, and then she does that. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Oh, that's oh. Martin's chair. What he was just yeah. saying about the the Olympics and Hester. You can't do that. Um, no, I I agree with you. I'd have loved to have seen an episode because I'm a bit of I'm a bit of a sucker for a play inside a show. Um, oh, I am as well. Actually, I love it. Maybe that's why ham radio works so well. And I'd have loved to have seen these kids like Shakespeare or something where they they don't know the lines. They're hamming it up. They're all over the place. I'd have really really liked to have seen that. How Frasier have to in the cast I'd have loved it that would have been great and it's only just yeah I've only just realising now why is it Ten Little Indians because they could have had any play that Frasier could have wrote, quote remembered the lines for and I just think he would be more likely to know something more highbrow so to speak more Shakespearean but yeah just I wonder if there was a particular reason they settled on that play the, the fact obviously the chair needs to fit in with the, the maison scene but I don't you know there's a million 20th century plays that you could have an armchair in so it's interesting they picked that but um yeah i mean i've got a few things to run through before we go to listener mail but are there any kind of closing thoughts you have on the episode mate i will just i'll ask you because um we take we try to mix it up is this in your top 10 it's not in my top 10 is it in yours See, I, I genuinely i've ummed and hard as to whether oh wow Only because i love that monologue so much mm. and i really like the last scene and i love the monologue i just don't think that of it is strong enough. Wow, I re- my heart was racing then. I was like, oh my god, are you going to name the first of your top ten? Because when you do, I'm going to add like a big fanfare in post-production. Whenever one of us names it, we need to kind of designate that episode as different from the others. Um, I'll tell you what I've learned from this episode, well, is that you won't know what's in your top ten until you're doing the episode. Because <laughs> it's it was always shifting. Umming and ahhing all... Genuinely, since last week when you said, oh, what are we doing next week? And I, I read out, oh, we're doing, you know, the chair episode. Since then, I've been umming and ahhing, is this going to oh, be in my top man. ten? It was only when we've been going through it, I've decided it's not in my top ten. Purely because I don't... I think there's two great scenes. I really like to say the last scene, and I love, absolutely love Martin's monologue. I yeah. just don't think the rest of it is strong enough to be a top ten. I completely agree with you. I think those two moments are standouts across season one, um, across the early half as Frasier, to be honest. But... 
yeah, there's not enough meat to kind of hang the rest of it on, I don't think. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's a really good episode. I'm going to ask you, Key, do you think Kennedy Burling would have enjoyed this episode? I think Kennedy Burling would have loved this episode. Thank you. No more comments needed. That's all I needed to hear. Are you yeah. ready for Whose Crane Is It Anyway this week? I am ready, yeah. Excellent. Well, your quote this week is, come on in, come on in. It's got to be Daphne, hasn't it, when Niles gets there? Let me check, actually. In case I've, in case I've cocked up here. Oh no, she says, "Oh, hello, Doctor Crane." So it's not Daphne. Okay, can I have another go? You can have another go. Wait, wait, wait! Too fast. <laughs> okay, come on in. You normally uh, ponder. You were straight in. Then. I thought, but it's obvious. And <laughs> oh god. Okay, come on in. Uh, let's see. The scenes won't be that. He'll, he'll have gone in anyway. Um, in the end bit where he's going to see Mrs. Warren, I think he starts on the stage. I don't think he comes in. So I don't okay. think. Uh, although you've just said okay, so maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> no, uh, no. Please continue your thoughts, Doctor Armstrong. If it's not Daphne, Wales, maybe it's Fraser to Leo or. Frasier to Leo, Frasier to Leo. Is that your final uh, answer? It's Chris. It's Chris. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't want to give you that. <laughs> little Who Wants to Be a Millionaire <laughs> reference for those listening. It is Frasier to Leo, Key Rob Clyde. He says, oh come God. on in. And then Leo responds, make way, Dr. Crane. I can hear his stoner voice now saying those lines. Um, well played. Okay. Oh, yeah. I've got one last thing, actually. Last week, the coffee count. I did mention it. But I, I, I mentioned it and said, oh, I'm going to circle back to it. If people were listening, they'll know this. And I didn't. But I did add the noises, the, the two pings. So the total is 23 now for the show. But there was obviously no Novosa this week, um, which was a huge shame. But uh, we're still at 23, so that's a coffee can. But I think that's everything for the episode. Have you got something you're going to say then, Kurt? Just one thing before we forget, because we are, we are hit and miss as to whether we're Oh, okay, it. yes. The take, title. Take, take the lead. Definitely. Also, I'm not sure. We, I don't think we did the opening credits this time either. Um, oh, my God. No, we didn't. <laughs> We're too focused on our books. <laughs> oh man, we were. Okay, I'm gonna. I've just checked, and the animation was the red light at the top of the space needle flashing. Oh. No, I was talking to Teresa about this actually on Reddit. I think it was Teresa, or it may have been. It may have been someone else. Um, so, Teresa, if you're listening and it wasn't you, I apologise. But uh, we were talking about how do they have any reference or correspondence to what happens in the episode? And obviously, I think I mentioned last week or a couple of weeks ago, sometimes there's the storm cloud and then it's raining in the episode. But I, I'm trying to think now all the time, what parallels can I draw? And the only one I can think of is when the guy, someone phones in mocking Fraser and says he spotted the chair at the top of the Space Needle. That's the only reference to the Space Needle in this episode. And obviously that's the animation there's absolutely not enough to go on there but that is what i'm gonna i'm gonna say <laughs> for my yeah. for my animation bit of like a conspiracy theory directory isn't yeah it? I, <laughs> I think it would be a really cool like hidden easter egg to the show if there was some kind of code that, that people hadn't cracked yet and there was some correspondence like oh every time there's the elevator animation in the space needle someone uses the elevator in you know elliot bay towers or something um I think that's definitely something to look out for because we could crack the Da Vinci Code of Frasier in some ways. But yeah, that was a... But is there a cultural reference for the title? Oh, crap, yes. All right. Um, <laughs> for, for complete, for, 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 you said that and the animation. I completely forgot about the animation. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Give him the chair. I'm That is something they kind of in slang for the electric chair, I've yeah. heard. Is that what you were familiar with? Yeah, that's what I thought of it. Like, give him the chair, gets him. 
electric chair. Yeah, um, that's what I'm, I'm. All I can think of is that. I, I'm struggling to think of another kind of pop cultural thing. I can't think of anything in terms of like books, films, TV shows that yeah. I can only think of like in terms of like the electric chair. So yeah, I'm the same. I think some some weeks there are just those kind of light little puns. I think, um, which is probably one of those from this week. Um, those light little puns about execution. <laughs> as light as it gets. <laughs> Okay, so for listener mail this week, we've got some uh, some good stuff to read over from the subreddit. A mischief knight said, "Root beer is not like ginger beer, which we talked about last week. If it was, I'd drink it more. It's like a ground root or something, and has an earthy slash licorice taste. Never developed a taste for it. Um, so, I, I mean, that makes sense. Root beer to have an earthy licorice taste. It's it's a ginger ale I had or ginger beer I had recently. Actually, it was quite was quite nice." And I'm not a huge licorice fan. I don't know if you are, Keith. So root beer probably won't be my vibe. I really don't like licorice. No, there you go then. So we won't be ordering any root beers anytime soon. Therese, oh no, I'll go actually, I'll read out the trivia master, Kalan Najans from this week. He put, also a huge shout out to you guys for making this podcast. I'm a sitcom fanatic, Frasier being my favourite. And before I discovered this show, the only podcast I listened to was Office Ladies, which is a brilliant podcast, by the way, which is hosted by Angela Kinsey and Jenna Fisher, both of whom played, had major roles in the US office. And they go back through every episode reviewing it together exactly like Key and I are doing. Only they have a, they know what they're talking about, unlike me yes. and Key. And he put, listening to podcasts about my favourite sitcoms makes me think about them more critically, which is sitcom nerd paradise. So thank you for your hard work. So really, really great comment. Thank you so much for your questions this week as well. Teresa put about the root beer. I think it's made with wintergreen. Very sweet. I liked it as a kid, but can only take a sip or two now. It's got a good flavour, but it's just too sweet. So two kind of differing opinions on, on root beer there the jury is still out we talked about the whole number one reference as well you know like he says to my number one son and we, we talked about whether that was actually an american thing and Teresa put i've never heard number one used in reference to birth order so i don't think it's a common american thing but i also never knew that americans prefer black coffee as you mentioned a couple of episodes ago they certainly don't around where i'm from honestly i'm starting to come to the conclusion that i as a californian have no right in commenting as a stereotypical american it's like we live in a different country I'm just going to say, you have way more right to read and talk about Americans than I do. So I assume Americans drink black coffee because I see it in a lot of TV and film. I see it in Twin Peaks. I see it in Gilmore Girls. It may well be that actually the majority of Americans prefer it with a bit of half and half and cream and sugar or whatever. So, you know, please do not let me doubt your nationhood <laughs> with my bizarre references to Americanisms. I'm just seeing if there's any more. I think that's all the Do you reckon there's a big difference across states as to how they like their coffee? I think there probably is. I think there's a big big difference across state uh, states in, for lots of things, really. So I definitely think that would be one of the things. Some have missed milk some don't some have sugar some don't you know i think i think california is, is a, pa- a place of you know the coffees that i don't know or you know like the the special the quinoa blend they're all that that i just <laughs> have no idea what i'm asking Where eric the viking is serving you in a little uh, boutique coffee house uh <laughs> would you like to try step over to the counter and try a special blend <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah thank you so much for the listener mail this week always lovely to hear from everyone uh, oh actually i've got one more i've got one more but and then i really will let everyone go even though you're free to leave whenever you want uh, I got a direct message from Cam Winston on Reddit, and he put, "Huzzah! 
listening from down in New Zealand. Would love to be part of the trivia now and again. Thanks, Will. Love the episodes. It's great to hear people like you and Key, who love Fraser like me. Outstanding. Really nice comment there. And listening in New Zealand, which is absolutely mental. Absolutely crazy. Yeah, please yeah. Feel, you know, leave some trivia. We'd yes, we would love having people in our trivia. I think we're going to get to a point where I will just stop writing the trivia for you and just use what's sent in because we get sent in such good stuff that there's really just no need for me to do it, um, which is brilliant. So next week, we'll be looking at season one, episode 20, which is 40-something. And for once, I actually can remember what this episode is about. It's the one where he meets the kind of young uh, shop assistant when he's buying some like Armani shirts and he kind of hits it off with her and then starts to have a big existential crisis. This is Frasier, by the way, about whether he should, um, whether he's too old for her and stuff like that. So it is a good episode. I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. It's got some good moments in. Not I, I feel, probably one of the best, but it's it's good. I, I feel that after this one, we're in for some classics. Yeah, we are. Oh, we are. We like really are. Get next week out the way in a sense. And then <laughs> Don't say that. Okay. <laughs> How dare you say that? <laughs> <laughs> and then when we do our final season review episode and we split it into thirds, as you said, I know where this one's going to be for you. <laughs> um, but no, there's definitely some good moments in this episode. So I'm looking forward to that. And I'm sure there'll be some good trivia to come along with it. But other than that, I've been Will. I've been Key. And thank you very much for listening to Weird Listening. Hey baby, I hear the blues are calling Tossed salads and scrambled eggs Mercy And maybe I seem a bit confused Well, maybe But I got you pegged <laughs> But I don't know what to do With those tossed salads and scrambled eggs